Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tonight on Truth and Movies. Live from the Prince Charles Cinema in London, we discuss the Safdie Brothers indie gem, Daddy Longlegs. You're here, finally. You're not responsible enough to be here to pick them up. It's my screw up. I'm entitled to screw up, and you can screw up for the rest of the year. How you guys doing? Comfortable? No. All right. And then we review the Super Safdie's latest release, the Adam Sandler-starring high-stakes drama, Uncut Gems. Howard, where's the money right now? Howard, got my money? Is it too late? I'm done. That means nothing. It meant nothing. Please. Give me another shot. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Hello there, movie truthers. <laughs> Listeners, as you can hear, we have some friends in the room. Uh, tonight we thought it would be better to be safety than sorry. No. <laughs> that happens every week. Thank you. You don't usually get such a, such a positive response from Hannah. <laughs> this week, or well, this episode, we're going to talk about two Safety Brothers films, but what we usually do is we have the new release and then Film Club. We're going to swap it round because we're in, we're in a room full of people who've just seen Daddy Longlegs. So I think we should kick off with that film. So do you agree, David, to give that the yeah, editorial yeah, 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 stamp of approval? So I'll give a little bit of a plot synopsis. First released in 2009, Daddy Longlegs follows the deadbeat divorcee Lenny as he looks after his two sons for two weeks while also juggling his unpredictable work and social lives. So Hannah, you programmed this screening. Could you tell us why? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, I think listeners of the podcast and anyone who knows Little White Lies in general will be aware that we're big safety boosters and have been for a long time. Uh, since heaven knows what, I guess. And when we did our Uncut Gems issue, I thought it would be a nice kind of opportunity to maybe dig back into their quite short back catalogue and um, play one of their films as a kind of tie-in screening. And Daddy Longlegs never actually got in a, a proper UK release. And it's still quite hard to find. It's not on DVD. Uh, I think you can get it imported, but it's never really played. Mm. As we discovered, very hard to get a print to play as well. There is none. There are none in the UK. The closest one is Germany. So, um, yeah, we thought it would just be a nice opportunity to kind of celebrate this really great film. I think it has a lot in common with Uncut Gems. Mm-hmm. And I think um, it was really just... Well, it was this or present a screening of Uncut Gems. I thought hopefully people would get something out of this and get a chance to see a film that doesn't screen very often. So for those who haven't seen the film, what would you say are the the points of comparison between this and 
the, you know, the film like Uncut Gems, they make 10 years later, bigger stars, bigger budget? I think the idea of a <laughs> um, father kind of desperately scrambling to provide for his family is very um, prominent in both films. They, so they based Uncut Gems and Daddy Long Legs on their own childhoods and their own experience of growing up with a father who was not always uh, there physically and emotionally. Um, so I think that's the kind of big comparison. This, I mean, it obviously feels a lot a lot less polished. There's mm. the, I think the soundtrack is a lot... <laughs> right. I say soundtrack, the sound of kind of gunfire, mm. <laughs> very ambient all the way through. And also, of course, this was their first film with the involvement of uh, Ronald Bronstein, who has gone on to become their kind of co-writer, co-editor, muse, and... I uh, spoke to Ronald Bronstein about the process of making this film with them and he <laughs> described it as basically being harassed by Josh Safdie into making a film mm -hmm. and he's not an actor, he's not starred in anything else and he said never again after, <laughs> after making this film he found it so stressful but I think, yeah, it's kind of where it all started for them and mm -hmm. I think definitely if you watch Uncut Gems this weekend or if you've already seen it in fact, listeners and people in the audience um, it's very obvious that these guys were kind of onto something, even all the way back in 2009. David, we're both recent fathers. Did you get any ideas from this film? This, this was a horror film for me. <laughs> <laughs> this was, um, just going back to the question you asked before about kind of the, the connectivity of their films and the thing, the over, these overlapping qualities that they have. I mean, they do tend to make films that are kind of character studies on a single person. And... I think I think what one thing that they seem to do in every film is they they create a situation that is just kind of you you, you would never believe could happen you know you, that you or, or someone would make a decision that is not based in any kind of rational reality and they it, they kind of manage to sort of sculpt a film around it so you reach that point where you think okay yeah I do actually believe that there is a sequence where that involves sleeping pills, mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, the, the the protagonist Lenny, played by played by Ronald Bronstein, who gives it, you know, doses his his sons up. And so an he, eighth of a sleeping pill. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he, he, he gives them too much. It turns out, but I think there is this uh, a film by a lesser filmmaker or lesser filmmakers. I think you might have you, you could have trouble thinking, believing that someone would actually imperil their, their children <laughs> in such an obvious and sort of knuckle-headed way. But you kind of, you believe it and you somehow still don't hate him for it. Mm -hmm. um, but going back, back to the fatherhood thing as well, like um, another weird thing about this film was that there, were, there was sort of impulses wrestling inside <laughs> me about on one side thinking, oh my God, he's, you know, these kids should be dead. <laughs> and on the other is like, Oh my god! I wish I was like running around um, with like urine trucks and uh, <laughs> and, and, and you know it, it it looked kind of like in a weird way kind of fun and and up to a point I think the kids themselves seem to be having like a good time with dad mm -hmm. but I think runtime of the film you're you're going from a point where they're that they're they're sort of deeply in love with him, or you know, like like you know, it's a fun jolly time to actually getting to that point where it's like, no, I'm not not sure this is all that fun anymore. I think this is a film that's almost been given new context as their career has gone on. Some of the contemporary reviews of this film, it premiered at Cannes, Directors Fortnight, and showed around the world. 
were quite mixed, and some of them say this is a document of abuse. <laughs> the, the, the father here is being neglectful, and if they lived through this, they have some real stuff to work through. But they really managed to balance that out between some really abhorrent stuff, but as you say, maybe it was quite fun at the time. And Hannah, I, I, I wonder, you, you, when you talk about this shared DNA with their later films, they do have central protagonists who are pretty reprehensible people that we can't help but root, root for, actual criminals in later films. Yeah, I think um, it's a common theme throughout their four features so far that all four protagonists are... Um, they do unlikable things, but they are not themselves unlikable creatures. I think... Um, you can, like David said, you can totally kind of understand the thought processes that are going on um, in Lenny's head all the way through. But very much in the same vein as Howard Ratner, he paints himself into so many corners where you just kind of, you, you want to take him by the shoulders and shake him and say, stop, you don't, you don't have to do this. And I think the kids feel like that as well. There's that look of resignation when uh, he turns up at the school at, <laughs> near the end to, pick, to kind of spontaneously pick them up and the kids are just like, Oh God, here we go again. You know, there's this kind of, I think, especially like I'm, I'm a child of divorce and had a fairly bad father. And I think it resonates even more watching it when you can kind of see that and go, well, yeah, actually, yeah, I understand kind of where he's coming from. But I think it's strange to me that people would kind of watch that originally back in 2009 and think it's kind of... A, a document of abuse. I think, you know, it's it's trying to kind of be honest about mm -hmm. something and not paint it with the kind of grey shades that exist in, you know, childhood. I think there are a lot of things that many of us have probably gone through that we think now, that, that probably wasn't cool, but at the time you just kind of get on with it. It's, it's a real time capsule of... of American Independent Cinema Circus 2009 to read the reviews because they were still throwing genre terms like mumblecore at this well point. yeah I mean if you th I watched um, The Squid and the Well for the first time the other day and um, I think it's a very kind of that I could see that working as a double feature to <laughs> you know to and, the, and the Royal Tenenbaums yeah, yeah. All these terrible dads <laughs> I, but also I think the, the, uh, talking of the tone of it as well um, and that kind of sense of danger and darkness that, that kind of lingers over it there's, I think there's also on the other side you could you could almost see it as like slapstick comedy, like or, or, or like a kind of because I mean one I think I I can't remember who said this, but like apparently one of the films that was an influence for this was Big Daddy, the, the Adam Sandler <laughs> film, and and which I happen to have watched really recently, just right. just just out of the blue, and uh, and and the, the over there is quite some significant overlaps. I mean. This isn't as, as as sentimental as that film, I don't think. But th there is certainly a sense of like, you know, we're not going to demonise this guy for for his kind of lack of parenting skills. There are, I mean, uh, listening to the audience in the room and watching it again myself, it's a lot funnier than I remembered it being. Actually, there are some great like comedic beats, and the kids are fantastic. You know, they're little superstars the way they kind of riff with uh, Ronald Bronstein is is just incredible the whole scene where they're arguing about turning on the light and oh. w whether or not it's going to attract mosquitoes is just incredible work and he's an incredible physical comedian from the very first scene where he just slips over with his two hot dogs crammed into one bun <laughs> later on where he just decides to start doing a handstand in well, front he's of a Kramer he's Kramer from Seinfeld isn't he <laughs> 
kind of indie version of, of Kramer. And it's <laughs> amazing to think that he, he did direct a film, Frown Town. Yeah, Frownland. Frownland. Frown Town. <laughs> he was more ambitious than I thought he was. Uh, and then now spends his time in the edit suite and help, uh, co-writing their screenplays. Right? Yeah, I mean, um, if you... Well, <laughs> so if you watched the film, everyone in the room did just watch the film. Uh, you saw him in a uh, projection booth um, checking on 35 mil prints. And I believe it was shot at Lincoln Center, which is where uh, Ronald Bronstein worked up until good time doing very well <laughs> at the box office, mm -hmm. uh, at which point he was able to quit his job and leave. And Josh... Safety also has a cameo in that sequence as well. Yeah, I forgot he's in that. Yeah. <laughs> I think they wrote a lot of the films actually in the booth as well. Yeah. Um, just while he was changing reels, they would, you know, between reel changes, they'd be writing together. They wrote Heaven Knows What and Good Time in the projection booth of Lincoln Center Theatre. So if you go to New York, there you go. So if any of the Prince Charles staff up there in the booth are writing right now, <laughs> they could be the future Safety brothers. We should plug that we interviewed both Josh and Benny before Christmas, didn't we? And we asked them about this film. And the interesting thing is <laughs> they've had kids in the interim. Or at least, did they both yeah, have kids or just Benny? No, just Benny. Yeah. Benny's had two kids. Cause, so there was a lovely moment where he um, was trying to find a picture from the set of Daddy Long Eggs to show me on his phone. And I don't know if this made it into the podcast, but he's scrolling through his phone going, I'm looking for a picture of a bathroom with kids' toys in, but that could just be my bathroom. So I, I don't know anymore. Mm -hmm. I think... Um, I'd be super interested to hear kind of how the film has changed for him since he's had kids of his own, definitely. Yeah, very interesting. Thing. Where, where would you rank this alongside the other four features together? Well, I told them in the room it was my favourite, which I think is probably still... I, I think it's probably this and Uncut Gems are my two favourite. But when they've only made four films, it's kind of a cheat to say <laughs> two, two, of them are, two of them are the best. Yeah. David, where would you put this alongside it's, the others? It's a good one. I mean, I, this is the first time I've seen it just mm -hmm. now, so... Um, but yeah, no, it was very, it was very good. Um, I, I, yeah, you put me on the spot here for on the <laughs> rankings. I, I, I really liked. I, I, I won't rank them, but I, re I will say that if you haven't seen Heaven Knows What, that's like, I mean, that that takes a turn for the really dark. I mean, I think that whereas this shows a kind of slightly lighter comedic side, Heaven Knows What is really, really dark, but 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 quite a, kind of weirdly cathartic as well, and it kind of sh it just really sort of pins down their commitment to this kind of you know we, we're gonna we're gonna take things to the edge and then tip it over and then tip it over again kind of thing so fine i'm, I'm gonna stand for good time then yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think I it's watching the four as well as like different areas of new york is mm -hmm. very is really interesting i mean this is obviously brooklyn and then uh good time was coney island way long island Queens, Queens. <laughs> it was queens okay. um sorry <laughs> and then manhattan in um Uncut Gems. Mm -hmm. It's it's amazing kind of how well they know the city. It, all of their movies, I think, could only be made by true New Yorkers. In fact, that's one thing I, that I think is is another thing that connects, or, or, or the, that certainly what I think about when I see their films. And and I think having seen this now, it's the the rule certainly applies. But they they make films where you you would be happy any any person who appears on the screen you'd be interested in seeing a film about them. <laughs> so, like, you know, the casting is incredible. And or or the, the little exchange between the war veterans. Of course, we see the, the, the beggar yeah, yeah, yeah. in a subsequent scene. But the other guy, I wanted to follow him home with his $20. I want to see what he got up to. But that's something that is in every film, their street casting. Even when they are casting bigger and bigger stars, as they can do now with the ilk of Robert Pattinson or Adam Sandler, they still have those little characters, don't they? 
at, for the time being, that's something they like to do is kind of have that juxtaposition of like, you know, real a you know a list actors, um, but like rubbing up against the these kind of weird street toughs that they've just kind of nabbed off the, off a corner. And what fascinates me watching this film, being such a low budget film that you know they made very early in their career, clearly you know, off on their own steam. You think that cameos from famous people or notable <laughs> people would be something that would come when they have the pull. So Uncut Gems you know, has basketball, famous basketball players in, and also voice cameos from people who won't spoil for anyone in the room or listening who hasn't watched that film. Whereas this has weird cameos for fans of No Wave New York music. <laughs> like We've got Lee Ronaldo from Sonic Youth there playing the, the stepfather, and his sons are the sons. And... It's so bizarre that so clearly they were insidery people, knowing like Abel Ferrara to bring it in, bring them in. Well, I think there is a thing about how they've got like a big King of New York poster in in their office, and he's. The, I think he is. There. They need more than that to get Abel Ferrara in your yeah. Video. No, of course, <laughs> of course. Um, but I think he is their kind of number one hero, and uh, and and in, and most kind of um, biggest inspiration as well for for what they do, and. Um, They've, but they've got this kind of let's just go up, let's just go up and ask kind of mm. vibe to them. You know, they, they 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 meet people in the street. That's that, that's kind of how they make their films. They've got they've got that kind of like, um, you know, they they're, they're like their characters. I think mm. in, in a sense, in that they they don't have that. They're not they're not shy basically. No. <laughs> and that actually makes sense because they approached Adam Sandler right after this film, didn't they? To to, yeah. to work with him. Yeah, straight away they were like, well, okay, we've done one, and it did okay at Sundance. We'll go we'll go for the big guy and. Uh, he said no. They already had uncut gems. Yeah, written they've been working on that kind of basically as soon as they finished this. I think they wrote the script and took it to Sandler's publicist. And Sandler went and made Jack and Jill. Yeah, and, and signed his Netflix deal, <laughs> made a lot of money. But then I, I was reading an interview with the Safdies after Uncut Gems, and they said um, obviously he became aware, uh, Sandler became aware of them after Good Time. But it was Daddy Longlegs that he really connected with, and that was kind of what sold him. And I think you can you can see why. I mean, based on I imagine what the kind of sell was to him. I, I like I say, I keep saying like the, there's a straight line between the two, but I really think those are the most kind of similar films in there for film. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <Uber. laughs> we're going to draw a straight line between the films now. <laughs> That's Daddy Longlegs. Listeners, if you can find a copy of it, we really recommend that you do watch it and let us know what you think when you do watch it at the usual channels. That's at Truth and Movies on Twitter, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com via email or at the comment section at ldwlies.com slash podcast. Up next, we're going to review the Safdie's latest film, a new release this week, that is Uncut Gems. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Adam Sandler stars as Howard Ratner, a charismatic New York jeweler, always on the lookout for the next big score. When he makes a series of high-stakes bets that could lead to the windfall of a lifetime, Howard must perform a precarious high-wire act, balancing business, family, and encroaching adversaries on all sides in his relentless pursuit of the ultimate win. Hannah, in your review of Uncut Gems, you called it a devastating fever dream. I did do that, Could you walk us through this fever dream? Um, yeah, I, I, I very much stand by that. I think that every reviewer going has called this like an anxiety attack of a movie. And as someone who's had a lot of anxiety attacks, I kind of agree. But um, I was not kind of... Expe- I was expecting it to be, you know, very much like Good Time, a kind of high stakes, high octane New York runaround, which is what it is. But also it's... There's so much sadness <laughs> in this film. And I think primarily it comes from the fact that this main character we have Howard Ratner is so um he's such a schmuck in the kind of the truest sense of the word he he doesn't know what he has and every character you meet who is close to him loves him everyone loves Howard you know it's just his kind of people he passes on the street or his family or the, the heavies that are chasing him actually they really like the guy and they kind of want him to succeed and they want him to do better and stop his kind of relentless swindling and gambling ways and I think that's the saddest thing is this idea that this man is just so helplessly trapped in his own hubris and his own kind of misery that he has no idea what he has and I think all the other films that they've made are about kind of desperate people in desperate circumstances and often kind of very unfortunate people you know drug addicts um single fathers um whereas Howard Ratner is a very successful man he lives in this beautiful house on Long Island he has a beautiful girlfriend in a very nice Manhattan apartment so there is a kind of sense that everything bad that has happened to him he has brought upon himself this might sound like I'm again it's an intervention or a therapy session but can you unpack (laughs) your love of Adam Sandler for me and is this his best role (laughs) So um, when I was about eight, <laughs> when I was about eight. Um, I used to have a video store that I went to every week, and th- my favorite VHS was Little Nicky, and I must have rented that. I, well, we rented it enough times that eventually they sold it as really cheap because they were like, "You come in here every week, <laughs> why don't you just buy it?" Um, and then I broke the tape because I watched it so much. So like, I am deep in it. I have been for a very long time. I think that he is. One of the one of America's like greatest comedic actors for a start, but then, you know, you watch films, his more dramatic films like 
Unshrunk Love, like the Mayowitz stories, like Spanglish. <laughs> and um, I think he he has so much depth to him and emotional range that he doesn't kind of get enough credit for. And watching a film like Uncut Gems, it could only have been made by two people who totally understand the kind of mystique of Sander. And listening to the Safdie brothers talk about how much they love Adam Sander is the most kind of charming thing in the world. I think a lot of critics and a lot of kind of people out there, ironically, like Adam Sander, they're like, oh yeah, Jack and Jill. The, the Safdies genuinely love the guy. They They are very much in it and they understand his appeal and they understand kind of his strengths as, as a performer. And yeah, I guess I, I'm the same in that I grew up watching him and was kind of very defensive of him and now I don't have to be because he might win an Oscar. Well, <laughs> reading and listening to the Safety Brothers in interviews, it's really fascinating. I don't know whether it's a, uh, it's a sort of hipster thing about them not seeing high and low art as two separate things, but they generally do love all cinema. And there's an opening shot in Uncut Gems, which is a you know quite a special effects shot. And um, they were being interviewed by Nick Pinkerton for the Film Comment podcast. And he said that in his writing, he referred to it as being like 2001 or these various other great visual effects spectacles of the, of, of the, of the ages. And they said the, the visual reference they used was Look Who's Talking. <laughs> uh, the opening sperm shot, as you see it. <laughs> and that's, I find that really fascinating. David, what do you think of Uncut Gems? Very good. Very, <laughs> very good. Yeah, no, it's... it's um, just, just sort of ca- carry on from what you say as well. Like... It, I think the similar deal with with Paul Thomas Anderson as well. When, when I remember when when Punch Drunk Love came out, and he was just hounded by questions like, you know, th- this was at a time when I don't think when the the, the very notion of, of of Adam Sandler being in a film like that was just like, but completely bizarre. I mean, he the you know the only films he was was known for were like The Water Boy and you know making going uh, 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 a lot. You know? <laughs> so or, or he he was just fielding questions like, so you really like Adam Sandler? And 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 and, and it was just Paul Thomas Anderson going, yeah, I really do like Adam Sandler. You really like it? Like, yeah, I really like. It. So yeah, it, I, it, I think it, it's probably been a bit easier for for um for for, for Safety Brothers to actually get that point across. Um, but yeah, no, I it's actually weird talking about. Uh, the film here because um, I, I this was this was where I first saw The Exorcist in 1999. I think I was in the back row. It was when when it was re-released for for the first time. Right. And uh, I think the chairs were different then as well. They were they were bigger. But um, <laughs> the, uh, the 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 film is like The Exorcist. I mean, it's it's like it's 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 got this kind of well. Firstly, it's got, it starts in 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 Ethiopia and. Right. Uh, where, where, where in this scene where, the, where these two guys un- uncover this uncut gem, this, this, uh, this, this black opal, which we, we kind of discover that the Howard Ratner, um, Sandler's character, has um, purchased off them through various kind of weird back, out, back channels. And, um, and, then, and then the film is essentially him trying to sell this opal. Uh, and it, you're watching the film, and, it, and it's essentially a, a, a very... It's kind of a straight, you know, you, you, you'd maybe see it as a straight drama as people, you know, people talking and it's done in a very kind of realist way and people talking over each other and arguing. and But then there's this kind of undercurrent to the film where the, the, the gem itself holds this kind of mystical allure that somehow changes people's minds or, what, what, what you know, just erases their sense of morality or their sense of, of, of like, logic or... Uh, or just something, and it's this—it's this kind of, 
it's almost like a kind of MacGuffin in the film that whenever it's present, people's minds just are kind mm -hmm. of blown by it. It's like it's got that devil quality to it and it just makes people do stupid things. <laughs> and again, like I was saying before, the way that the film's made, you don't necessarily, it's not done in a kind of, you know, genre-y way or, you know, or a horror-y way even. It's, it's this, this kind of almost like fantastical idea is sort of planted in the film in a way that you would never, you would, you wouldn't even really see it, or you, you know, you could watch the film and it wouldn't, maybe not even go, uh, you might maybe not even notice it. Um, but I just keep, I just, I, I think the thing that I love about this film is it's got that kind of like, it's got that kind of weird mystical element to it that is kind of that messes with people's minds, and it, and it, and, and, and again, you, you, so many points in this film, you're like, would he? Oh my god, I can't believe he'd make that decision. I mean, this this film is is essentially uh, varying stages of this character making decisions, and you're thinking, oh, I can't believe he made that decision, and then, oh, I can't believe he'd make that decision. And then it, it just ramping up, ramping up, <laughs> ramping up till one at the end where you're like, Jesus. <laughs> but then the thing that makes the film amazing is the way the Safdie brothers, through just through everything, through production design, through through their casting, through the dialogue, through the editing. They just make it. They make it feel real. They make it. They, they convince you of this guy being a real person. Do you find that these sorts of films enjoyable to watch? <laughs> we, we talk about it in terms of fever, dream, panic attack, anxiety attack. What, I, I find. What pleasure I, you take from these? Films? I find. I, I mean, I, you know, I think watching a film like um, I think maybe more so than than something like the Daddy Longlegs, which is I think a, a, a really not great film, but like it's got that kind of rough phone quality mm -hmm. to it. Whereas I think I'm watching uh, uh, Uncut Gems and there's scenes that are kind of almost, you, the artistry is just so <laughs> like there and in your face. And like there's there's one sequence where um, Kevin, Kevin Garnett is returning to Howard's office and he has this kind of two-tier two lock, locking door system where um, he has you, you, you buzz you buzz them into this little kind of antechamber, and then they ha and then once that back door's closed, then they can come in. I guess to, as a so, sort of you know security measure, and th there is like this kind of it's it's like a kind of five five minute farcical, just like tearing your hair out sequence where the the lock the the lock breaks and Kevin Garnett has the gem and he want, and he needs to get through the door to give it to Adam Sandler and Adam Sandler is talk, trying to keep them there while trying to unlock the door and the way it's edited and the, the sound the music the the, the 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 sort of interplay between people it's like it's like symphonic it's 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 just you're watching this sequence thinking this must have taken like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to edit it's like a horror farce it is yeah it's a horror farce. I I I I really like I, I love Good Time and I really like good, and good Gems as well, but I find them so hard to sit through because you're squirming almost from the word go and they the way they use the soundtrack, the way they use um, you know, people talking over one another, lots of shouting, lots of street ambient sounds. It's just overwhelming, and you come through at the end. It, it, there's, there's, it's almost like this sort of religious epiphany sort of thing that you have at the end of their movies, and you can go out and breathe the wonderful air of the outside. Well, in this in this film, that I think there's a sequence where they have like they they, they just add on really loud traffic noise to one of the one of the scenes in the apartment, mm. and it's like 
that that's the kind of I think that's probably the the shot and the the sequence that you could probably take and say this is a Sam <laughs> Brothers film. It's it's a film with really loud traffic noise in your ear and it's just like getting up in your head. I don't find that I find them very easy to watch all their films. I mean, I've seen Uncut Gems four times now. I'm gonna go again next week. I well, think I've seen it seven times. <laughs> didn't mean that as a brag I just meant it as like a show of commitment I have become like a Mormon going door to door with like have you heard the good news about the Safdie brothers to people like did 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 you end up buying the 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 $250 Furby I did not I came close um but I think for me like my greatest joy when I go to the cinema is watching something that completely transports me and takes me away from whatever cinema whatever location whatever troubles I have brought in with me to the cinema something that just completely I can focus my attention on for two hours five minutes or one hour 40 minutes however long and I think that for my money there's no kind of filmmakers filmmakers coming up like the Safties that do that for me certainly I think the worlds they create and the kind of the way that everything comes together in their films and it is it's a case of not only having amazing casts but having amazing crew who all kind of are on the same page and all work together so well, that they just, they kind of are very, very good at creating things that I really tune into on a kind of cerebral level. I certainly can't deny that. I just find ev- every wrong decision just makes me coil even further inside myself. Maybe it's because I make many wrong decisions. I, I fear making those <laughs> I'm just decisions. Just watching it going mood all the way through. <laughs> so... Let's put some scores on this film. So we give films uh, that we review for The Twilight Lies three scores in anticipation, enjoyment, in retrospect, times, however many times you've seen the film. How do you want to go first? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I gave this scores when I reviewed it for The Twilight Lies. Um, and to reiterate, it was a five in anticipation because I really loved a good time and I really love Adam Sandler. So it was kind of all my Christmases came at once. The second I saw that, iconic paparazzi shot of Adam Sander running down um, the street with his mobile phone, his iPhone 4 in his hand. I was sold. So five, and then it's five, five. I don't, I don't give out many triple fives, but I really stand by this one. This Do you is, think of yeah. any other triple fives in your career? A lot of four, five, fives. I don't okay. think, I don't think any, I don't think many triple really fives. Th- this, object. this is my bedazzled Furby. <laughs> my uncut gem. Yeah. <laughs> I think you referred to Adam Sandler as your jellical choice on this I week's did, episode. I did, yeah, I did. And I stand by it. Stand by <laughs> that. Is he your jellical choice, David? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd probably give it a, a four in anticipation because, um, yeah, there is that kind of... Watching their films can be can be tough sometimes. <laughs> um, but no, I, 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 I mean, it's fi- fives, fives across the board otherwise because... Main, mainly because I think being in the company of Adam Sandler is 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 just a joy. I mean, he, he is so good in this film. I mean, it, I think it's a it is a bit of a. I mean, we're talking about like Oscars and stuff like that, but this this performance is not well liked across the board. Certainly, with the kind of you know hoity-toity uh, people who vote for in in awards bodies. So it's a kind of real. Sh- I think it's good that the the critics bodies are like giving him his 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 dues uh where where the sort of maybe the more kind of conservative awards bodies might not but he absolutely deserves it i mean it's like it's a one-of-a-kind performance really did you say the numbers there 
Oh yeah, fives. Sorry, fives across the board. Gosh, I'm sorry. Fours across the board for me. Boo! Oh no! Gosh, I'm <laughs> You're entitled to your opinion. Yeah, no, I really like this. I like the time <laughs> a little bit more just because I think that Robert Patton. I'm more of a R. Pats man than an um, A. Sandman. I like them all <laughs> as I can. I'm a woman who contains multitudes. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, thank you both for, for your scores. And thank you both for joining me tonight. And everyone, thank you for joining us this evening. Thank we will you. be back next week with uh, an episode in which we are reviewing A Hidden Life, the new Terence Malick film, Bombshell, the awards hopeful. And for Film Club, if you want to send in any um, opinions on the Terence Malick classic, Days of Heaven, uh, we'd love to hear them. Um, thank you very much once more. I'm Michael Leader, and as always, this has been a Seven Digital production. Thank you for joining us. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.